Well, we just read it, but make sure you have it in your hands there. Romans chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. And uh, no, thank you for the very sweet words about Pastor Appreciation Sunday that was surprising and very kind and sweet. But let me just tell you about who I am. I'm a human. I am 49 years old. I uh, obviously wear really bad foot apparel. Um, my wife and I just recently had a discussion about that. Where is she? She's here. Okay. Uh, evidently, when I come into her workplace, it has been noted by multiple people that I'm wearing outdoor Tiva sandals. And apparently those went out of fashion yay, barely 26 years ago or something like that. I'm, she just should be thankful I'm not wearing socks with them because there was a phase where that was okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're going through this passage here in Romans 8, and I'm in it, and, uh, and you're in it, one way or another you're in it. Uh, see, I was born in the world, not knowing God. Um, in God's words, in his text, uh, the, de- the description is we're hostile towards God. Scott Burns was hostile towards God. And then God comes to Scott Burns in kindness and grace. As I lived in the desert in California and brought me the truth of Christ through my parents and through people in the church and won my heart over, testified to my heart that he is true and real and uh, saved me at a young age and has been working on me since then. Um, that day I came to know Jesus as a young man was the day that I was fully loved by God and could know it. And he's never loved me any more since that day. He's just continued to pour out that love more and more. And I've failed him a gazillion times and, and in no lightweight type of ways. But his love hasn't gone down and his love hasn't gone up. His love has remained perfect. And he keeps changing me more and more over the years to look more and more like him. And over these years, as I'm resting in Jesus and walking forward, there's all kinds of questions you have in your mind, all kinds of things you're seeing and wondering, you're not sure what the, the truth of it was. And one of those things for me was this concept of the Holy Spirit. Um, we are right now in chapter 8, so uh, particularly chapter 8 of Romans deals a lot with the Spirit of God. There's a temptation sometimes for me when I read through scriptures to only pay attention to something that I think is new or something that I don't quite understand. Um, But that's the wrong way to read scriptures, to just simply pay attention to something new, or something you don't understand, or you don't have an answer for. Uh, The scriptures are the words of God, given by God himself, inspired through the Spirit, and they are life, and they are truth, and they are beautiful. Um, And so, the, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you will know that. And so when you are like 87 years old, and plowing hard with Jesus for 60 years, his words will be more, more beautiful and more cherished to you than ever before, even though you've memorized it and taught it to herds of people and translated it and cross-stitched it and put it on the wall or something like that. It's going to be more and more beautiful, not because it's novel, not because it's um, mysterious, but because it's beautiful. And um, one of those things we have is the concept of the Spirit. And I remember growing up as a young man and then a not-so-young man as I've gone along, and I have had many times where I've been really confused about the concept of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a world, and um, some of these people are all dead, so they're probably hearing me now and they're fine with it, but some of them might be alive. But I've grown up in a world a lot of times with teachers around me that have kind of avoided the topic of the Holy Spirit um, because they grew up in an area where the Spirit was talked about, but in very irresponsible ways. It was always just, but your Spirit was actually just code for loosey-goosey. 
right? Just whatever's, whatever's going with you. Or like really um, abundantly artificial looking spirituality, right? So you're flipping the channel late at night. And people are waving their hands and people are like doing the tuna fish on the deck after they do that, right? Um, they're doing all kinds of things. They're like shaking their coats over people. And you're like, what? Or someone comes up and it's supposed to be healing and that's not a healing. That's just sticking your heel forward a little bit. Or that person, they just threw the wheelchair off the thing is just really sad because they can't walk still. They're, they're crawling. So I, everything I've seen has been bad. Actually, one of my favorites is, have you guys been to um, on YouTube and seen some of the... Um, the uh, the healing services that are not true, where they've superimposed uh, imposed lightsabers in them. Oh, it's really fun. Just li- lightsaber healings. Um, so I've I've seen that for years, and so and so some of the people I came from uh, they saw that and they're like, hey, let's run away from that because really it's an ignoring of God's words. So let's go to God's word and let's quit talking about the spirit guy because he's probably representative of a lot of irresponsibility. And so I go, then you can grow up in a culture that's largely avoiding the spirit in the name of avoiding errors, in the name of going to the scriptures. So you believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures instead of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to be careful about that, really, really careful about that. But then you're reading, and I'm reading back when I'm younger, and I'm going through John, and I'm going through this passage, and I'm going through Galatians, and I'm going through 1 Corinthians and all places, and the Spirit of God keeps showing up again and again. And sometimes he's just stated in unique ways, and sometimes it has to do with these supernatural things the Spirit was doing in the New Testament and did do in the New Testament, and very well maybe doing in corners and portions of the world that I have not seen with my own eyes still to this day, where people really are being resurrected out of the grave, people really are being actually physically transformatively healed, sight being given to stone, darkness, blindness, amazing things. And then God's Spirit is coming upon people and this gift of tongues you may read about, which we could argue about because it's Pastor's Appreciation Week and you can take me to coffee and we can argue about it. But the gift of tongues, if you read about that in Scripture, I believe it very firmly is the case that that is the gift of human languages not studied by you on which you haven't tapped the ability to say things about the glory of God of which you may or may not understand, which means Avery Grace is right there, and all of a sudden she has the ability to speak Swahili and say praise things to the Lord in Swahili, and she hasn't studied it. And she may actually understand it, or she may not understand it. It's the, it's the, it's the prophecies and the proclamations of God in unknown languages to the speaker. So God did these amazing things. And so for me, when I'm first reading, thinking about the scripture, I'm trying to think, the spirit, I'm trying to think, Lord, I don't want to mess this up, and like, why don't I see this now? How does this work? Because honestly, even as a teenager, when I read the scriptures and see the work of the Spirit, it is not what I see on television. It's not what I see when I see people walking around saying things about the work of the Spirit. And so I enter the concept of the Spirit on the concept of of the gifts of the Spirit, maybe not based upon who He is and what His great work is on us in the scriptures. There are three passages in the New Testament that particularly really unfold the nature and work of the Spirit. I was going to say John, Romans, and Galatians. Those are good places to start when you think about the Spirit. And you should think about the Spirit. Because in the Old Testament, God presented himself to us as largely a simple monotheism. I am God. And there is no other. All right? What is your name? Tell them I am has sent me to but in the New Testament, it's unfolded. It is, he is not a simple monotheistic God. There is, there is the Trinity, right? One being, three persons. 
It's not logical in our human ways. It's completely logical to him. But the way he's now presenting himself to us and wanting us to know him is that he is one God and there's a Father. And there's a way that we relate with the Father that we don't with the Son, and a way that we relate with the Son that we don't with the Spirit, and we can't ignore any three of them. The Father is the one who is our Father, the one that we primarily pray to. The Son, the second person in Trinity, is the one who took on flesh, the one who came and lived perfectly, died perfectly, rose perfectly and powerfully for us, and forever our identity is in him. If you didn't get a chance to watch Andrew's teaching this past Wednesday on unity with Christ, I really encourage you to go online and watch that. It was a great teaching and introduction to the concept of what it means for us to be unified in Christ. We are in Christ in a different way. It's not said that we're in the Father, particularly we are in Christ, and we're not in the Spirit like we are in Christ. Christ is our head. He is our New Adam, right? He, t- he plays that special role. But then he sends the Spirit. So in John 14 and John 16, Christ is telling him, listen, the Spirit is coming. And you as my people will experience, ex- experience the Spirit in ways that the people of the Old Testament didn't. And you want and you need the Spirit. And Crossfade Church and friends online, whatever, you can't ignore the Spirit. God is designed for us to pray and live vibrantly with the Father and live vibrantly in the Son and to live very vibrantly connected to the Holy Spirit and in no way making him obscure and covering up with covering him up with the name of Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired and wrote the Scripture and the Holy Spirit is still at work in us and wants us to look to him because that is the desire of the Son and the desire of the Father. So it's good. It's really good, and we can only say so much for the few Sundays we're here. Um, but don't come to think about the Scripture just as, as far as mysteries that must be solved or things that are mysterious to me. Come to the topic of the Spirit in the Scriptures as life, as the promised help, the comforter that Christ has sent for us to take advantage of. Uh, my wife and I, we like, is it called Chef's Table? Is that, is that show? Okay. Um, we like the show called Chef's Table. Um, and particularly there's one on pizzas that just came out, right? Now, it would not be a very intelligent process for us because we said, ooh, pizzas, chef table, cool. Pizza's really cool. We like those two things. Um, if we watch episode one and two, and all of a sudden they're putting a pizza back in the oven, we're like, oh, man, might as well turn it off. They're just putting pizzas back in the oven. That was the point. We wanted to learn more about pizzas, see more about it. So just because the theme comes up doesn't mean I get to check out. The theme is actually what holds us there. When we come to issues of the Spirit, we're not just simply looking for something new. We're looking for a fullness and an understanding and the life and the power that God has given for, to us through him. So Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 12 to 16. Um, I, I am I'm just learning. I, I feel like I've learned a lot of things over the last few years. And I'll tell you that some of what I've learned, and I'll reference this later on in the sermon, but some of what I've learned has just honestly been on my knees begging out for help and wisdom before the Lord. Some of the things that God tells us about the presence of the Spirit, at times in my life, I have not seen those things and not experienced those things. And I'm like, God, am I misunderstanding something? Or am I off? Am I not your child? Or is this no longer in play? Uh, because my eyes don't see some of these things. I would tell you this, that the concepts of the Spirit, and particularly you and the Spirit, are not casual concepts. They will not be solved in between glasses of water at the kitchen sink when you think about them for five minutes. If you want to deal with the Spirit, and I think you're going to see the text, the text is bringing you very much to deal with the Spirit. 
you're going to have to spend time with the Lord to figure this stuff out. Not only to figure out the information about him, but to figure out the connection between you and him. To be able to understand the connection of what he is leading you in. It's not fast. It's not quick. It's not something as a side dish or as an addendum to the day. It actually becomes a grand ambition of our life. It will not work in the corners of our minds. And that might be one of the leading reasons that we know so little about him. is because we only look to him so shortly. All right? So here we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 16. I'm going to, I want to encourage you, like, make sure you have Romans 8 out in front of you, okay? Because we're going to kind of review where we were last week in no simple way. I want to start off with this. There's this word called flesh. Verses 1 and 2, you see this word flesh show up. So in Romans, Romans is so knuckle-crackingly detailed and mysterious as you go through. Chapter 6, sin. Chapter 7, law. Chapter 8, spirit, right? There's this movement. If you actually can step all the way back and kind of hover it over it, right, and kind of notice these things. But even the woes are different. Chapter 6, sin. Chapter 7, flesh and sin and death. This kind of mixes. And then when it comes into chapter 8 here, it talks flesh, 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 flesh. What is flesh? Flesh is this. It is the natural human nature. It's the natural human nature um, even when it's not overtly and, uh, and obviously hostile towards God, it is the non-supernatural, non-spirit-led mind. I'll make a case for this. Look at chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh. Right? Opposition. Spiritual versus flesh. Chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And so there's a difference between the natures, between spiritual and flesh and um, and in chapter 7, verse 18, no help or good is in the flesh. It's not there. That's not where the help is. It never was for salvation or ongoing in the sanctification. There's no good in the flesh. It's just the human nature. Likewise, flesh describes the spiritless life of Old Testament believers. Chapter 7, verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So flesh is not, no, okay, this matters. If you simply using the word sin through chapter 8 and opposing spirit and sin, you're like, when I'm bad versus when I'm looking at spirit, when I'm bad. Chapter 8 isn't about when you're bad. Chapter 8 is about when you're not in the spirit or when you're in the spirit, right? So it's not just when you're overtly hostile and being an idiot, which I am, sometimes, and which you are, and the Lord helps us and he forgives us. This is even just the earthly living, the non-heavenly look, the being oblivious to the presence of God and his spirit in us, being checked out of the heavenlies, that's the flesh. So what it's doing is, it's, it's, but basically, if you're catching this, it's raising the game way up here. This isn't just about when you're walking in sin. This is about when you're just not connected in with God, flesh. So there's been one in the flesh, Jesus, he came, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. We caught that in the verses before, but without sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh. Check this out. Salvation changes our status. Here's two things you need to know. It changed our status, and this is a permanent change. In Romans 8 9, it says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if you have the Spirit, you're not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Complete 
categorical change, permanent, okay? Anyone, he follows this up, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So either you got the Spirit or you don't. And if you have the Spirit, you're no longer in the flesh, you're, you're in the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit, you are in the flesh. And there's not a moment and an ounce in your life will you ever be in the Spirit if you don't know him. Okay, so number one, salvation changes our status out of flesh into the Spirit. Number two, salvation changes our minds, and this is an up-and-down affair. Okay, so me, being a man of the Spirit now, by God's grace, in the moment-by-moment, I will think in terms of the Spirit, or I will not think in terms of the Spirit. We see this in 8.5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And there's plenty of moments, I could pick any one of you right now, who had the most awesome devotional day yesterday. There are times where your minds are not set on the Spirit. Your minds are set on the flesh, set on the natural. So, there's a change in status where I'm now in the Spirit. You're in the Spirit if you know Jesus. But in the meantime of that, there are going to be times when you are thinking in the Spirit and times when you're not thinking in the Spirit, and that goes up and down. So for this passage, as we go through, when you see flesh, think natural human thinking and living. Don't think active hostile sin. It's actually way bigger than that. Okay, Just natural human thinking. So, so far in chapter 8, we've got this. Number 1, look at verse, verse 1. No condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the moment you come to Christ and say, God, I am a sinner. I'm a flesh bucket. I don't want to be that anymore. I want the work of Jesus to cover me and pay for me and to make me yours, to give me your spirit. The moment you do that, you are wholeheartedly his, and there is no condemnation for you ever before the throne of God. Second one we see is this. Because Christ has accomplished what no other person could accomplish and attain victory, completion of the law and salvation for us. That's in verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son. Listen, you, you never could do it. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you have not explicitly gone before the throne of heaven and say, God, I'm done. I'm done running away from you. I want you and I'm done trying to make that happen myself. I'm done trying to better myself. I'm done trying to please you enough. If you haven't done that, there's a, a number of things in chapter 8 that I think are so helpful to know about yourself because no matter how many times we see it in other places, there's still something in us. Once we start to square up and say, okay, I kind of want God, there's still something in us that always says, and I can do that by like, like um, improving myself. Quit doing some stuff. Start doing some stuff. And that's just not the case. God says it doesn't work that way. Chapter 8 has been so helpful to me in my own thinking, but also super helpful for me in sharing the faith with people because chapter 8 um, just takes the, the winds out of your flesh sail. Like, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got nothing. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his son. The only thing God could do to make you acceptable to himself is by sending Jesus. So if that's the only thing God could do, are you going to do better with your two little 30-year-old legs? Not going to do it. It doesn't work. Then, who are us, the ones who walk according to the Spirit? Look in uh, chapter 8, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, who gets this work of Jesus? He doesn't say the word Christians there. The way he describes us is people who walk in the Spirit. That's the way he describes us. It's the new description of us. Um. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? 
It's to set our minds on the spirit for rather than being on the natural things. Look at five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on things in the spirit. And when you do that, your mind is filled with life and peace. Look at verse six. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I had, uh, directly out of Andrew's preaching last week, I had a number of moments this week where I was feeling very anxious or angry or bothered. And God's Spirit brought back to my mind that verse. Because as I was listening to Andrew preach, that verse was like pounding off the page, right? The mind that is set in the Spirit brings life and peace. And there's a number of moments in the middle of the week, I could actually almost give you the hour it happened, where the Lord brought my mind back to that because what was happening around me was not life and peace. And he brought my mind back to his truth and by his grace back to his spirit. And I looked to him and reminded myself of that and talked to him about that. And you know what he gave me? He gave me life and he gave me peace. Even though the things around me didn't change at all. It didn't go better around me. It wasn't like all of a sudden things were proved better. But in the middle of me, because by his grace, my mind was set in the spirit, I experienced life and peace. And then we're memorizing that memory verse this week out of 1 Corinthians 10, right? Note, I memorized it out of a bad version. Forgive me. It's an old version. I didn't even quote it out loud. My version is so much different than the one you guys memorized today. But it's in there for 35 years. It ain't going nowhere, right? No temptation is overtaking you except for that which is common to man. And God is faithful and he will provide a way for you to endure it. Parallel. With that verse right there, the mindset and the spirit brings life peace. How will he allow you to do it? He brings our minds back to look to the spirit. We look to the spirit and who, he's, who he is and what he's doing and what he's said. And he gives us real-time life and peace, even when everything around us seems to be falling apart. But the mind that is set on the natural, it's still hostile to God. Man, hostile is a heavy word. Do you agree, Christian friend? that you once were hostile to God. And can you and do you talk that way? Do you believe it about yourself? Because until you believe you are hostile towards God, at war against the holy, precious God of heaven, until you come to terms with that, because a lot of times you can get that when you first come to know him. You know, sometimes we come to know him so young, and we, just, we know we're hurt, we know we're in need, we know we're sinners, but we don't understand the details. And all of a sudden God goes, well, check this out. You are hostile towards me. And you look at it, and sometimes you go, no, surely it wasn't true of me. I'm Emma Molesbury. I'm nice. I'm sweet. I'm kind to everybody. But then he opens it up and goes, you were hostile. And you go, you know what? Um, you're actually right about that. And God lets those things settle into our hearts more and more. And I'll tell you what, it is life-giving. It is life-giving for me the more I identify the fact that I was hostile towards God. So Christian, do you identify that you were hostile towards God? And non-Christian, listening to this wherever you're at in the world, this is your problem. You're hostile towards God. You aren't good. You're not good. That's why Jesus came. And we, don't, we can't lessen the fact that you're hostile towards God. But we have a Savior who can change everything about that. He can change your heart, change your record in a heartbeat. But do not come with a hostile heart trying to pay off God through deeds. And verse 8, cannot please God. So, in verse 7 and 8, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times 
maybe in the hundreds, I don't know, over the years of getting to talk to people about Jesus, those verses 8 and 9 have been so helpful for me. Uh, when I have my friends that can't dislodge their minds out of the notion of, but yeah, I can do some things to lessen God's displeasure with me. I can do some things to kind of pay down the debt. And I'm telling them, you can't. You're hostile. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Um, that text right there, if you don't have the Spirit, you cannot please God. So for whatever reason, the construction of that has been so helpful as I've shared the gospel with people saying, okay, well, let me ask this. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? No. Okay. You can't please God. You absolutely can't please God. Well, how do you get the Spirit? You ask Him for salvation to get the Spirit. So there's no pleasure. God will ev never, ever take one moment of obedient pleasure in anybody until they have the Spirit of God in them. You get the Spirit of God in you the moment you come to know Jesus. So every single moment of your life before you come to know Jesus Christ brings God zero pleasure from you to Him. And we can't dance around it. Can't dance around it. But what does Christ do? Christ brings us to Him. Christ brings us, we are under the love of God, and then we can bring Him much pleasure. Much pleasure. Never trying to pay him off. Never trying to lessen the debt. Never trying to scramble in and get greater love, greater, greater favor. But we now do stand completely accepted by God. And we now do follow him and do things that are pleasing to him from the heart. As, as offerings of love, we are living sacrifices for the pleasure of God. And then we get to our text. All right, so now we're in our text. Those were all kind of backup things. I just feel like I needed to go there again because Andrew did it so well last week. But I know half you weren't here. And um, I don't know who's here, not here, but it just rolls that way, right? Um, and, I, and I feel like, man, we've, we've really got to soak. I've got to soak our hearts in Romans 8. You want to learn about thinking about the Spirit? Don't think, don't, let's not start thinking about the gift of tongues and healings. Another day, way down the road. That's all like ancillary, far out there things. These are the heartbeat things of the Spirit. These are the big things of the Spirit. Particularly, you want to know how the Spirit works in you? Romans 8, Galatians 5. Those are two places to really live in, to unfold who the Spirit is and how He works in us. The origins come out of, particularly out of, out of um, John 14 and 16. So, I want to put my cards on the table. Here's my cards. I think that this passage, when you read it, should give you wonder and probably a little bit of fear. Wonder and a little bit of fear, Okay? And I want you to, to read it and just think about your life <clears throat> and what you see in your own life compared to the way these things are described of you. And I just want to encourage you, don't stick your head in the sand. Don't just go, well, that's too hard or, oh, you're totally fine. Actually, really soak these things in and think about them. Um, like I've told you, like these, these concepts here for me have equated to over the years. I'm not, listen, I'm not bragging about my prayer life. I just have been praying probably longer than most of you guys, okay? Like, I'm just older. But these things have equated hours and hours and hours on my knees before the Lord, these topics, over the years. Because I don't match up to what this text says a lot of times. I'm just being honest with you. So when you don't match up to what these things say, we've got to figure out what the deal is. And I just want to encourage you, be brave before the Lord and figure out what the deal is. Turn off the television. Do whatever you need to do. Rent a hotel room for a night. Go out in the woods or wherever place you get really focused at whatever that is, in a candle shop or something like that. 
uh, whatever it is, but spend time, slow down with the Lord on these things. So this is my cards. I just really want you to think, and you'll need accurate information as you think about it. As you think about the Spirit, if you don't have things about the Spirit from the text, and you're trying to pray about the Spirit, it's going to be very frustrating. I'm going to call it fetal position prayer. You didn't just lay on like, oh, I don't know. That thing doesn't seem so right. Or like, read the text, pray through things from the text. Okay, it'll keep you out of fetal position prayer. <clears throat> Maybe that's a bad t- description, but that's me. Okay. Number one, um, do you have the Spirit? Romans 8, verses 12 to 16. Our first piece is this Christians are owned and purposed against sin. Christians are owned and purposed against sin. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are debtors. And some kind of debt to somebody. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are debtors. We learn from the book of Romans that salvation, um, one of the ways it's described is ownership. In chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. So you can't bear fruit to God, can't bring him pleasure, unless you belong to him. We died to the law so we could belong to him. Salvation is a transfer of title. And some of you guys aren't going to get that. But all for the rest of the old people that pay money, you do. Uh, there's a title to your soul. You are not saved and okay with God unless there's a transfer of title. Until you are purchased and owned by Jesus. It's not a sad ownership. It's not a bummer that you're owned. It's an awesome thing, but it is unequivocally you are owned by the God of heaven. You are owned by Jesus. His own terms here, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, and that's Jesus. So, Christian, you're completely owned by Jesus. If you're not completely owned by Jesus, you're not a Christian. You're like anything but a Christian. Okay? And, uh, and I think that a lot of us know um, that we deal with a lot of people in our, in, our, in our Western world that fancy themselves Christians but don't see themselves as owned by God. He's not their, he's not their authority. He's not their treasure. He's just a general advisor, um, a nice uncle shows up that you can cry out to or ask for some favors from, those kind of things. That's not the way of the gospel. Um, it's honestly why, one of the reasons why we do this, this gospel workshop on the 15th. We're doing it differently, by the way. We're just kind of like, it's going to be really in room. It, it'd probably have a stream out, but we really want, we want to help you think through, like, what is the gospel and how do you explain it? So you can kind of explain it in ways that kind of cut off some of these errors out of the gate. Right, so you have people coming to your gospel, hearing your gospel, and go like, "I do want that because of that," or "I don't want that because of that." I don't want to be owned by Jesus. That's okay. At least they know what's being involved—that you're being owned by Jesus. I don't want Jesus to be my treasure. I don't want Jesus to be my king. I want them to want that, but at least our gospel should be clear enough that they can see what they don't want when they don't want it. Right. So our time there is really for clarity in the gospel. The number two thing is we want to try to help you, particularly. Um, well, it's, it's like this, you know, I'm, um, I, this, this is a sad example, but in the last couple of years, there's been a couple of, like, violent shooting events, right, at, at schools and places like that, and the people that have the tools to help haven't gone in. They haven't gone in, for whatever reason, just haven't gone in. 
And uh, to some great degree in the mission of Jesus Christ, we're all on the ground and we have the tools to help. But a lot of times we never take it out of the wrapper, right? Just sitting there in our bag and we're like, you have the gospel of Jesus, but you, <laughs> like, it's just largely sealed up still. And you haven't like got it out and used it and like played with it and like unfolded it and understand how to use it and how to portray it to people and try things out on people and realize, oh, that didn't work. Uh, that was confusing. Um, and, or, and then come back and say, well, what do you do when they say this? Um, we want, uh, brothers and sisters, we are out in our own worlds. God has assigned you a mission field that he hasn't assigned anybody else. You're there. We want you to have the tools of who Christ is and what his message is for the world. And not only so you know it and that you can actually explain it and not just simply like defend it. We're not interested in defending it. We're interested in presenting it. We're interested in showing and commending people Christ our Savior. And then number two, we also want you to actually not only just be able to present this message, but it is a worldview. The gospel is a worldview. It is the comprehensive worldview. Everything fits into it. So when we are looking at the world and when we are hearing it, people look at the world speaking back, we know how to interpret it through the lens of the way God says it really is. And not only interpret it, but prioritize it. So we want to train you and help you think. Do our best. This is our best effort we can as pastors in our church to help you think through the world in terms of, of the lens of the gospel and being able to see what things are high and low errors. And if you've got only like one card to play, where do you want to play that card? Do you want to play it on some superfluous thing about their hygiene? Or do you want to play it something really deeply about the work of Jesus? So we want to help you kind of sort those things out, field errors, that kind of stuff in terms of the gospel. And then lastly, for our hearts, to go, okay, if this is for us, how does, how does it look for me to actually go on in this life and believe this in an everyday way? So that's the 15th. We'd love for you to be there. It is our best efforts pastorally to do that for our church and for anyone who wants to come. You know anybody? Bring them, okay? Um, I'm back in. So in the gospel of Christ, number one, Christians are owned and purposed against sin. Christ now owns us. Um, literally, in some, another word in one of his, his texts is, for you are not your own. He now owns us. We are his, and we don't have the rights to go back and serve the hostile life of anti-God that we had before. And we, we, genuine Christians, we do be completely belong to him. He is, he is the one who owns us, and we are happy that he owns us. But that's the foundational piece in this. We are debtors, but not debtors according to the flesh. Look again at verse 12. Our second part is this. The spirit leading is essential in salvation. It's essential not for salvation. It's essential in salvation. Prepositions matter. Spirit leading is essential in salvation, not for salvation. Okay, I'll mean this. I'll explain this. Romans 12 13, 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So this is not, it's not like you can die physically. Of course, that's going to happen. But this just means you're heading towards um, spiritual judgment eternally. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. If you are led by the Spirit, because you are a true son or daughter of God, you will be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. If you really are alive, this is the argument. You can see it right there in verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put the to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is a sign, an absolute essential sign of our lives that we are alive, that we would be putting to death the deeds of the body, fighting against sin, looking up 
Look, not looking down, not living down here, not living in sin, not just being a fleshly person, but looking up. So if we are alive, and that's the clear argument, for the children of God, we will be putting to death sin in our life. Flesh thinking and living, in some sense it's this. Flesh thinking and flesh living is like the light on the dashboard that says you're heading towards spiritual judgment and death. So active ongoing sin, active ongoing ignoring of the Lord, it's a light. Let's just say it's a red one on the dashboard that says you're heading to death. You're heading to death. You're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're not killing sin. Boom, the red light's on there. You're heading this direction. Conversely, spirit thinking and living is light on the dash. Let's just say it. One's green. Boop. So spirit thinking, spirit living is the light on the dash that says you are truly alive and it's designed you to give, to give you rightful confidence that indeed you have eternal life. They are indications. This is a wonderful thing, folks. You're not sitting there wondering, oh, I hope I said the sinner's prayer really good like 10 years ago. You can tell now. You can tell now. You'll be able to see the active workings of God in your life or not. The first place to look is what do you do with sin? What do you do with sin? Do you live in it and not repent from it? That, my friends, is a red light, one to attend to. I'm not saying you don't know Jesus, but there's something wrong. That red light says if that light goes on that way, you head towards death. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. All. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And you will see this in yourself. If you are a child of God, you will experience the leading of the Spirit. We get towards the end as far as what that is and how it works. But if you are His, you will have your mindset in the Spirit, you will experience the leading of the Spirit. Um, this is not a call to cross-legged meditation where you quit, you just ignore the world, you don't go to work anymore, and you just sit there cross-legged and you hum to yourself and like just think about God all day long. This is not a call to exit the world. This is a call to stay in the world. But where to keep bending your mind as you stay in the world? When you keep looking back up to Him, you keep referencing the Spirit, keep asking this leading of the Spirit time and time again, what should I do? How should I respond? Guide my heart, guide my thoughts. Like I say, the last couple of weeks has been so helpful to me. Not perfect in any sense, but been so helpful to me as I've continually checked in with the Lord, asking Him for help. So this is not a call to escape out of it. This is a call to engage the life God's given to us by seeking, referencing, moving and following Christ in all areas of our life as we look for the leading of the Spirit as we go through. Only one type of person, according to this text, only one type of person lives eternally on with God, and that's his sons or daughters. And they belong to him, and he marks them. We use this word called seals, right? There's, if you've been reading the rest of the New Testament, you hear about the sealing of the new spirit. When I'm first reading that as a kid, I'm like, what is that? Number one, I marked off like harbor seals and stuff like that, so it wasn't like the, the, the mammal. But then sealing, and I, for my mind, like the, whatever, it's just desert funk from growing up in the desert. When I think of sealing, I just think of that sound the pickle jar makes when you open it up for the first time, that right? has nothing to do with it. Uh, sealing in the New Testament has to do with demonstration. It's a mark. You are marked by God through the presence of the Spirit in you. You're marked by God by the presence of the Spirit in you. The presence of the Spirit of you is designed to give you and others around you the demonstration that God really is at work in you, and you can notice Him. They belong to Him. He marks them, seals them with the Spirit, who they look to and follow by His leading, this is the normal Christian life 
that is marked by his leading, not, super, not, not the, just for the supers only, right? Finally, our last piece is this. The indwelling spirit pulls our hearts towards the Father. The indwelling spirit pulls our hearts towards the Father. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Those are very tender terms, Abba, Father, okay? It's, it's what a little kid would say to their dad. Not, not their formal dad who's the king of England, but the real dad, the room with you, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we pick it from this text, number one, spirit leading, it is the norm. It's not the extra. Believers in Jesus Christ are to be spirit-led people who are looking to the spirit and following the lead of spirit in their life. It's not a feature of the super-Christian. It's the authentic child of God. Number two, if that's not happening, then you need to figure out what's up. Could be this. Could be it's happening and you just don't recognize it. It really could be. Could be you're just like you're you're still thinking. Well, I'm looking for the spirit's leading, and I haven't been able to heal anyone at the grocery store. I go, okay, it's probably a wrong metric to put on it, right? When we start thinking through like what is the, what are the set of metrics we think about with the spirit? First of all, we can think about the fruits of the spirit. It's the first place we check in for metrics of this is the spirit actually being looked to and followed in our life. So I want to encourage you to think through a couple categories. Okay, bravely think through these categories with them. Number one, am I really being led by Him? Or not. And if not being led by him, why not? I think it's a very fair question. Um, and this is, this is that I'm speaking to people that know Jesus, okay? If you, if you know Jesus, you think you know Jesus, are you being led by the Spirit? And if not, why? Um, that's number one. Let's be really honest with it. Can you identify the leading of the Spirit in your life? Do you identify, okay, again and again, I look to his leading, and I actually am gaining his leading in his life. Number two, if not, why do I think that I'm an authentic, born-again Christian? And how did I get that way? Okay, so here's my first question. If you're saying, like, I don't know about the Spirit. Like, okay, number one, why do you think you're a Christian? How did you get that way? It's not, a, it's not a saying you're not. It's just a question. Why do you think it is? Why do you think you know Jesus and how to happen that way? If you said I was born that way, uh, sorry, it's not going to work. Okay? There's only one way to become a follower of Jesus. Number two, uh, the second big question here is this. Have I seen the Spirit leading me and transforming my heart and actions and the use of me? So number one, do I think I'm a believer and why? But number two, have I seen the Spirit of God leading me and transforming me, moving in my life? Is there a history of that? Would people around me say that they think they've seen that? This is one of the really helpful reasons, um, a, a great benefit of the local church in your life is that people can actually see things in you that you can't see yourself. We saw at men's retreat. We're talking a couple times with people and... and um, um, people around. We often see the, the work of the Spirit when people can't see it in themselves. And finally, fourth, be careful with your metric. Um, am I a gospel birthed and fed person? Is my mind looking towards the Spirit's leading? Are the results, those things found in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Don't don't measure, did I speak in a different language? Don't measure, did I heal someone today? Don't measure those things. Look for these metrics here. If you really are looking to the Lord, these are the fruits that the Spirit will yield in your life. It's unavoidable. If you're a Christian and you're looking to the Spirit, you're setting your mind on the Spirit genuinely, 
these things will come pouring out of your life. Love, joy, peace, peace, patience, and kindness. A couple things to consider. The Spirit is there and he testifies. In our final verse there, verse 16, it says this. Uh, in 15, it says the Spirit is there, and it's not a spirit back to slavery, but instead it's a spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What's very important to think, if we are alive, if we have God's Spirit, His Spirit doesn't work in us, and that is a work of intimacy. The Spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. So this is, nope, I can't tell you about that out of time. Okay, there's some very important things maybe I'll share another day. If this is of the Lord and if this is the Spirit, the Spirit of God will draw your heart into intimacy with God, not fear from God. Intimacy towards, not fear from. If something is moving you away from God, that is not the gospel of God and that is not the Spirit of God who is moving you away from Him. The work of the Spirit in you will move you towards Him as a believer and make your heart long out from His Father. And then finally, verse 16. Interesting verse. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This makes me uncomfortable. Honestly, I like really objective things, but that verse for a long time has just been saying that the Spirit of God bears witness and testifies in our spirit that we are the sons of God. There's a whole theological category called the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. It happens um, to various degrees. There's a small category where it happens to the unbeliever. Romans 1 talks about that, where we look outside and we, can't, we have to lie to ourselves and each other to say, oh, that's all just a bunch of natural stuff, right? That's just random happenstance. God says, oh, no, actually, I've been unfolding my nature and impressed upon your heart. Romans chapter 2, the law of God is impressed upon our hearts. The Spirit will also do this. But particularly the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit comes from when we read God's word and we know that word comes from God. It's designed that way. So when we hear that word, that word testifies to us that's from God. And finally here, if we know Jesus and his spirit's in us, his spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. A couple of texts just to kind of fresh, freshen your, 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 your thoughts on this. 2 Corinthians 5. He who, ha, who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. As a guarantee. Th that means something you can rub together, something you can identify with, experience. Um, likewise, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So the Spirit is there and meant to be noticed. You can reference his presence and his work in your life. Second uh, Corinthians 1.22. He's also put his seal on us and has given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And it really cross-references, if you think back over to where Jesus is saying in, in, in John 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He will manifest. That doesn't mean he's going to show up in the corner of your room about 9 o'clock at night and like, I am Jesus, I am here. The way he's going to manifest himself to us is by him giving us the Spirit, and his Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the sons of God. So, how does it actually work? How does that work? There is a new work that happens in the heart of the, of the, of the believer that makes our Father our home. And we just can't live apart from Him. Oh, we can wander, we can stray, we can, we can be idiots and fools, and we are, and I'll be the first one to be in that line. But my heart can't stay in the foolishness very long. It's just He's rewired it. I belong with Him. 
I can't deny him anymore. I can't read the scriptures and say, that is a myth. That Jesus is a liar. That Jesus is a fool. Or this strange, mysterious compilation of people that put together this myth is not true. I can't deny it anymore. I can't deny it more. My heart belongs to him. Um, and over the years, as I sit there and pray for, uh, off, like what happens for me is like seasonally, I'll spend some time for the Lord, just ask the Lord for help and like wisdom or like what, I get scared. Um, my heart is knit to the Lord. It, there's so many times throughout the day where it's not, but it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back time and time again. His spirit testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God and my heart moves into intimacy with him. So brothers and sisters, I would encourage you with this. Think through these things honestly and bravely. I think that if you're thinking through this passage honestly and bravely in your life, it will encourage you because God's promised certain things about you. So first of all, you're very encouraged. God says if you're in him, you have his spirit. He will lead you. So let's be really encouraged by that. You want that. You want the presence of the living God in your chest who will be testifying that you are a child of God and leading you forward as you look to him. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to answer? Should I shut up? Should I go forward? Like, keep looking to him. But then, believer, dear brothers and sisters, let's be real with what we don't see in there. And um, I think that even for the strongest of us, when we look at what we don't see, sometimes it becomes very fearful. Answer that at the foot of Abba Father, not on your own. Don't ignore it. Take it back to your Father because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit brings us back to the Father and lay these things down. Say, Father, am I really Spirit-led? Am I really indwelt by the Spirit? Is the the Spirit really testifying that I am a child of God? And that may be a hard thing to think through. That might be a scary thing to pray through. And I would encourage you to do that in fellowship with one another. Talk about it. Talk about it with us as pastors. Like, um, the idea of being able to discern the role of the Spirit in your life is a tricky thing. You don't have to do it alone. But I will tell you this. It will not be done quickly, and it will not be done casually. Seeking the Spirit is a relational thing. It will be done over time, on your knees, before the Lord, over the duration of your life. And there's a bunch of us that can testify to a lot of different chapters of that. Ugly and fantastic. And we would love to testify that too with you. So until then, brothers and sisters, Keep going through Romans 8, look at this, pray this through line by line, and step into the fullness and the joy of a life that God has designed for you because he hasn't left you as an orphan. He's left you indwelt by the Spirit to help you and to grow you in him. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, please, that you would completely circumvent all the foolishness of my speech and the inability to communicate these things and the shortness of my understanding of these things and teach us, oh, Father, by your spirit, the truths of your spirit in this text and the realities of its connectedness to us or disconnectedness to us and how we think, how we live. Father, for my friends that don't know you, but maybe who think that they have, I pray that you give them clarity and let them run to you. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that do know you, but also see how in development they are. Give them peace where they should have peace to rest in you and patience and give them endurance and the heart to chase you and pursue you and to really step forward into the spirit-led life. We want that, Father. We want your presence in our life. We want your power in our souls. We want your leading. And so we ask that you'd help us in these ways. In Christ's name, amen.